Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raj, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. You can become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Over there, we got Ishmael Johnson. Ish, how you doing? Uh, great until this morning. Um, <laughs> you know, NBA is, is popping off with all the news, and I literally rolled over out of bed and found out Chris Paul had tested positive for COVID <laughs> after getting vaccinated, so... Which is just on brand for Phoenix luck in the playoffs. So we we have fun. to mention it's two oh seven PM. This day is not over. Anything else can still happen in the NBA. That's it's, true. It's been like seven things. Devin so Booker far. can catch COVID for all well, I know. Hey, <laughs> let's relax. Let's not do this. Let's not put that into the universe. Over there we got Mallory Hartley. Mallory, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Well, I think uh, I'm doing better than Ish because I had no yeah. expectations for the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. We're, we're just done. I right. can't get my heart broken for another week until the NBA draft lottery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's surprising. The NBA draft combine came out today, too. I saw that. and Javion Hamlet's not on it. Ooh. Oh. Haters. Haters. I, Absolutely. I, was haters. Little, I was a little sad about that. Bunch of haters. It's a great list. It is a great <laughs> list still. There's, listen, people don't like to hear. There's a lot of good players in the NBA. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, Ish, I, I meant to refer to you as a former Louisville player, uh, Ishmael Johnson, because you were there. Uh, you were there probably about as long as Luke McCaffrey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great starting point. Yeah, uh, Luke McCaffrey already bouncing from Louisville, and you maybe wonder why we're talking about a Louisville transfer. Well, he ended up at Rice <laughs> with the Rice Owl. So Luke McCaffrey, for people who don't know, that's a name that might sound familiar to you. Brother of Christian McCaffrey, uh, brother of Dylan McCaffrey is the one who's at Michigan, uh, a quarterback, started at Nebraska, actually played and started two games last year for Nebraska as a redshirt freshman. sons of, of Ed of McCaffrey. Ed McCaffrey, <laughs> right, right, right. Part of that whole super family thing. Yeah. Uh, well, he transferred to Louisville, did a week of workouts there, and was like, no. <laughs> Saw the other quarterbacks throwing. He's like, they're actually kind of good. Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to be guaranteed to start here. <laughs> I'm out. And so he went to a place where it's going to be a bunch of kids, and including him, by the way, who's also a kid, uh, trying to win the starting job. So Wiley Green has started for them. Giovanni Johnson has started for them. But I will say, I mean, Mike Collins was supposed to be the guy last year. Neither of those two other guys impressed enough to win that starting job consistently. Mm -hmm. uh, Luke McCaffrey only coming in in the fall. One thing that I do think will help him potentially have a chance to win the starting job is that they have changed their offense a little bit. I mm -hmm. think that they're going to be a more simple offense under new offensive coordinator Marcus Tuyasasopo. And so, I don't know. I, I mean, look, if you're if you're Rice, it's a home run, right? you got a top 250 player coming in from the class of 2019. I mean, that's not the kind of player that usually goes to Rice. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that the other thing with this is, you know, he left, I believe uh, uh, – Coach Satterfield kind of hinted that he basically left because he wasn't guaranteed to be the starter or like heavily hinted <laughs> at. Um, yeah. Which, you know, fairly understandable, right? You leave Nebraska because sure. you think you want, you know, you think you think you're probably going to be replaced. Scott Frost maybe wants to do something different. So you go to a place where you're probably a foot ahead, right? Maybe where you anticipate being a foot ahead. You come out of workout, you're like, mm, kind of not. Okay, this isn't exactly right. what I thought. Right. And so maybe you go to Rice and maybe. I don't want to say he's guaranteed to be the starter, but maybe Coach Bloomgren says, hey, you're probably going to be penciled in as one, right? At the very least, two. 
and you're going to have an inside track to the starting job. And that, I, you have to think that that was the kind of indication or the recruiting process to be like, you're going to have a really good shot at most likely starting this fall. Right, right. And look, I have to say, obviously you can only play one quarterback at a time, right? right. You, you can only play one quarterback. And that's why you see all these transfers, because guys just want to play. Mm-hmm. I do not fault anybody for going to a situation where they're going to play. Hmm. If, if you go play college football, I understand wanting to play football. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, the, because it results in things like Rice getting Luke McCaffrey, like, <laughs> like a four-star recruit going to Rice, where it's like, right. okay, well, here we go. Now let's see what this, let's see what he can do. Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of other news items. Texas A&M cornerback Elijah Blades has entered the transfer portal, uh, was, I think, the number one JUCO cornerback in America back in 2019 or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, another guy who, uh, Texas linebacker, at Aodele Adeoye has withdrawn from the transfer portal, so that's big for Texas linebacker depth. Uh, by the way, this is all stuff that's happened since since like May 29th, right. after we put the magazine to print. By the way, right? You know, yeah. just, just worth throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, another new addition: Alabama running back Keelan Robinson transferring to Texas. A highly, highly, highly ranked guy at running back. I think that more than anything, look, obviously, B. John Robinson's going to be the guy at Texas, mm-hmm. but to add some depth to that room so that you don't have to hand him the ball you know, 25 times a game, I think that's big. And especially when, in you know, the past couple of years, you know, names like Keontae Ingram, Jordan Whittington, guys who've gotten hurt, right, where you've lost that depth. And mm. there might have been talent in that backfield, but it just never stayed healthy, healthy together. So you can never have too many running backs, it seems. Right, right. And Robinson's a little bit more of like a scat back. I, sure. You know, he's a little bit of a smaller guy. B. John Robinson's more going to be that giant workhorse type guy, uh, it, which is interesting because last year Robinson was kind of more of the like home run, mm-hmm. like let's let's get after it kind of guy. I think that role is going to change. I don't think he's going to average nine yards a carry yeah. in 2021 for a variety of reasons. But, uh, but he I, played under Sark, right, at Alabama? You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. you're absolutely right about that. So, you Comfortability know, there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Somebody who knows the system, I imagine somebody's going to come. Familiar. Right, Absolutely. right. Be able to block while well, I'd imagine. So big addition for them. Uh, two more things that we'll mention. Troy wide receiver Kalen Geiger transferring to Texas Tech. This is a guy who was two-time All-Sun Belt in his two seasons uh, at Troy from, after coming from junior college. And for Tech, this is one of the reasons that I'm optimistic about their offense is mm-hmm. because I think their receiver room I, I mean look I don't want to get into the whole like TC versus tech thing because that's a whole discussion that I think is going to go on all offseason but uh but you know for Sonny Cumbie coming in I think that there's just so much air raid talent on that roster and now you add a guy in Kalen Geiger who again I think he had like 1700 receiving yards over the past two seasons mm-hmm. you add that to the room a, a room that I think is already awesome you know, McLean Mannix, uh, Eric Azukama, a lot of uh, young guys coming up too, Loke Fungi being mm-hmm. one of those guys there's a lot of upside here, and I think that adding a senior to this room only makes it better. Yeah, speaking of uh, guys that were mentioned in the magazine, you know, I, was, I mentioned him as the one of the guys not playing for a Texas school from Texas <laughs> uh, in the magazine, came from uh, Fort Worth Pascal. Um, and yeah, he, he's been one of the consistent forces in the Sun Belt over the past couple of years. I, you know, I follow, I still follow a bunch of Sun Belt writers from when I was a beat writer, and every time he plays you know somebody else in that in that conference it's always like that's the guy that's the guy you circle right when you play Troy um tech adding somebody like that and adding a you know Loic Fungi's kind of the physical guy right mm-hmm. adding somebody mm-hmm. of the other dynamic right he's only like 5'10 170 right um so adding somebody of the other dynamic to feed off of that that's going to be pretty awesome yeah no question about it so one other thing I wanted to mention this is not somebody adjoining a Texas school but we haven't really addressed it so Darwin mm-hmm. Barlow the running back formerly of Newton formerly of TCU landed at USC so 
here's the crazy thing about USC, right? USC has added eight transfers over the offseason, seven of them being former Texas high school products, including Keontae Ingram from Texas, Malcolm Epps from Texas, Saban Alford, I, I guess also from Texas, mm-hmm. Katie Nixon, who played at Colorado, Chris Thompson, who, who played at uh, Auburn for a year. They are loading up, and you look at their coaches and their coordinators, right? You've got Graham Harrell on the offense side of the ball, recruited a lot of these guys on offense from North Texas. Uh, go me green. <laughs> and then on, on defense, you've got uh, Todd Orlando oh, running the defense over there. And Jason I, Washington in the secondary, I believe, as well. Mm, yeah, you're right. You're right. And I think Craig Nybar might be over there, too. Actually, yeah. Actually, I think I think, uh, I think think Washington somewhere else, and Nybar is there. Yes, I, yes, I yes. got them confused. So lots of people. I, I mean, that's interesting, right? Because California obviously is such a – a fertile recruiting ground mm-hmm. but to go to texas be able to get so many of these guys and i think that the interesting thing about this for clay helton is keontae ingram totally a, a, an instant impact i think darwin barlow is potentially going to be able to play right away katie nixon an instant impact but a couple of these guys are investments mm-hmm. I, I think that chris thompson he's not necessarily going to play right away he might but sure. I, I don't think he'll play right away xavier alford similarly but Especially coming off, I think Alfred was coming off injury as well last yes, year. Yes, he missed last year, yeah, I believe. And I was. believe he missed some of his senior year of that, Shadow Creek that's as well. Right. So. That's right. And so, you know, but these are investments, I think, in a couple of years. So I do think it's interesting because I do feel like this is Clay Helton saying, I feel like I have a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And, and look, if you get talent like that, we know obviously back in that 2019 recruiting class, I believe it was, maybe 2020 recruiting class, where they, they were outside of the top 60 or something like mm-hmm. that, right? I think that was 2020. Adding some of these guys now, several of which were from the 2020 recruiting class, that really helps balance your roster all of a sudden. And I think it's a very smart move. I think so too. I think that I'm wondering how it does balance out with Clay Helton because it seems like he's always on the hot seat every year, no matter what he does. Mm. Um, and so I'm curious how, if he maybe received a little bit of backroom security to say like, sure. you at least, you might be, you maybe have two years, right? You might not have one. It might be, uh, we'll see what, where we are in 2022, but it might, they might've behind the scenes kind of maybe guaranteed him that much time. Right. Right. Well, let's move on to the story of the week. Okay. Yep. So earlier this week, we hear, that the college football playoff, they have a working group that's been working secretly for two years involving a, a, a wild collection of names. It's Bob Bullsby from the Big 12, Jack Swarbrick from Notre Dame, uh, Craig Thompson, I believe the Mount West Commin- uh, Commissioner's name is, and also Greg Sankey from the mm-hmm. SEC. Just, what is that room like? That, that's a weird room. But, uh, <laughs> but what they've emerged with is... Instead of jumping to an 18 playoff, like I think a lot of people thought that they were going to expand to, they're jumping straight to 12. Mm-hmm. And so what this would entail is four teams, all four conference champions, it has to be conference champions. The first four conference champions would get a first round bye. The other eight teams would play each other in a traditional bracket style, you know, 5-12, 6-11, et cetera, et cetera. And the winner of those games would continue on and uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, just like you'd expect. Right. Six conference champions are guaranteed spots, which means – for the first time in the playoff era, there would be a guaranteed group of five team that would participate. Uh, and obviously, it would open up the field in a lot of ways. It would guarantee that, again, there are six at-large bids, which it is interesting. So so just to touch on this real quick, mm-hmm. I think that if you are a conference, if you're the Pac-12, obviously you're the American Athletic Conference, certainly if you're the Big 12, you are happy that you are guaranteed a spot if you win the conference, right? Sure. Now, this year would have been a weird year. Actually, the Pac-12 would have gotten left out if this was the year because the Sun Belt actually had the sixth team. Mm -hmm. Oregon was seventh. Mm -hmm. But in a normal year, you expect all five 
Power Five conferences would be represented every single year. And uh, on top of that, one other team, usually the American Athletic Conference team, but last year it could have been the Sun Belt team. A couple years ago, it could have been Boise. It could have been App State. You just don't know. Uh, but what are your early thoughts on this? So my early thoughts are, I, th- I think I'm weighted on it. Yeah. Um, I do acknowledge that it is huge for the group of five to have a guaranteed spot, right? Whether it's the AAC or the Sun Belt or whoever comes out. Um, I would be curious how like the independent would because like somebody like Liberty, yeah, right? so because that that they would be ineligible basically for the automatic, right? Right, right. and actually they that's actually a big that's actually a big thing is that yeah. Jack Swarbrick, the commission, or sorry, the uh, the athletic director at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. they are ineligible, right, for the for, for the, the first four, yeah. right, and so that would mean that they are only eligible for at large, like you said, with Liberty, right. with BYU, mm-hmm. none of these teams uh, with UConn, obviously mm-hmm. a team that's going to make the playoff. Uh, <laughs> They are not eligible yeah. to get one of these automatic bids. So, and that and that's kind of where you know then the politicking comes in. So, like you would presume that no matter what, Notre Dame would get in some way. Sure. Um, but you know, moving on to the other, what my kind of weighted expectation or weighted um, opinion of it is, yes, I acknowledge that it's big for the group of five because yes, it would have been cool to see most likely one of Cincinnati Coastal get a shot um, or Louisiana get a shot. I don't think we would be getting two. Not usually. I, I, I even because like you know these people wanted to bring up last year, right? Yeah. How wild it was and all. The playoff committee had the security of knowing that there were only four teams making the playoff. Right. That's so like in a in a quote unquote normal. If we went into this format last year, right? And they they announced during the midst of this COVID pandemic season that by the way we're also expanding it, right? Oregon would have been six and Coastal would have been seven, right? It would have been switched. They would not – when they actually have to put <laughs> their their chips in the middle and actually say, okay, one of these teams has to make a playoff, then you won't see as mu- – even as even as little respect as they got last year from, you know, incrementally moving up or arbitrarily moving down for whatever reason, um, you know, whatever they did with Cincinnati at times. I think they would have probably put Cincinnati in because they had to because that, that was the sixth. They ate, that was the sixth There highest. was no argument. Oh, right. I mean – there's nothing. Right, exactly. Coastal, Liberty, Louisiana, and BYU before they lost to Coastal, they would have been on that 13 through 15 range. And, and by like. the way, yeah. San Jose State. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's another one. Yeah, that's a good point. I've completely forgot about them. But yeah, so like, I think when the pressure's off, oh yeah, sure, Coastal <laughs> six, right? Oh, put whoever seven, eight, whatever, you know, whatever. But all of a sudden, when you expanded to 12, then. I just, as much as I would love to see that, I don't see, you mentioned the names that were in that room, SEC, Big 12, right? That spot's going to eight win Georgia, right? That spot's going to to seven, eight, or not seven, but eight, nine win Penn State, right? I don't think outside of that one group of five winner um, at that sixth spot, I don't think that goes to another one. So here's one area where I'll push back. Mm-hmm. Like we mentioned, Six teams who are conference champions are guaranteed a spot. Right. And I will, again, reference back to last year, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it has to be said, the reason that Oregon won last year is because Washington got hit with COVID. They shouldn't have even been playing in the game. USC was really the team from the Pac-12 that should have won. But I do think this makes for a very interesting situation when it comes to upsets in the conference title games. Mm -hmm. Because if you are, I'm not even going to make the joke of Oklahoma because it's literally impossible. If you are USC mm-hmm. and you are ranked number eight mm-hmm. or whatever, and you play against Oregon, who is 
number 25 and is 8 and 4. Well, if Oregon upsets you and there are like we had this year two undefeated teams. Mm-hmm. It fe- I I understand what you're saying that they try to find a way, but it seems to me that there would be no argument to to like legitimately make for the committee to say because I the biggest thing with the committee is that yes, they certainly don't prop up group of five teams that I think that the way that they should. I don't mm-hmm. think that they credit teams for winning games and, and don't penalize teams for losing games equitably. But all of this has been, per se, within the margin of error. Mm-hmm. Like in 2014, I mean, obviously I was at Baylor at the time. Uh, it was within the margin of error for Ohio State to jump Baylor and TCU. Mm-hmm. We can argue if it was the right decision. Right. But it wasn't that 8-4 and four Ohio State jumped 11-1 and one Baylor. And... That's not to say that wouldn't happen now. I think that's certainly always, especially with the group of five teams, because there are just way fewer common opponents. I think it's always a, a risk. But if you are the committee and you haven't ranked Oregon at all, mm-hmm. and Coastal's been number 11 the whole year, and you expect, for example, if, if USC was ranked number eight and they lose, well, like, all of a sudden, can you argue that you should jump Oregon up from 25 to 6? when you didn't have them there all year long before that, when sure. there was an update. Sure, sure. No, 100%. I think that, I mean, that's, a good, that's a good point. Like, I don't know. I guess I'm just pessimistic in that regard, right, when it comes to the power struggle of this kind of – and, again, I think this is the – this goes to my bigger argument, and we you know, that's another episode for another <laughs> day. But, like, this goes to my bigger argument about the problem with the playoff committee, yes. right? Like, yes. people making these decisions. People have interests. People have, you know, their own sways. And, yeah, yeah, yeah trust me, I couldn't – come up with an argument that why Oregon should jump all the way up to whatever 12 or no automatic be one of the automatic slots um after not ranking them all year but again we've this was a committee that we saw all year figure out ways to explain why Cincinnati never lost and dropped right like right. <laughs> like right. this is like oh there ain't no well they went from six to seven why because uh, Florida right. I don't know like Florida won against Mississippi State I don't know right right um and that's kind of the 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 workaround with this this committee is that there's one guy designated to go on ESPN every every week and explain their decision, and it's not always good. Shouts to Kirby Hoka. Right, exactly. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not always good, but it's just like he's the guy, he's the PR guy for the committee, and he has to explain it in some capacity. It doesn't have to make sense. It's just like this is what we thought, and we have to take that, basically. So one thing that I do want to touch on before we move on yeah. is what – for these teams that are not the top teams, right? Because mm-hmm. I do want to take a step back. I do not think that maybe any title would have been different over the last seven years. Sure. Maybe 2014. 2014 is maybe the one that you'd say, okay, well, mm-hmm. Ohio State, they they got their short of shot and they, they made something happen, right? Mm-hmm. If you have to play more games, maybe that doesn't happen, right? But, right? but I don't think that from 2015 to 2021 that it necessarily changes any of the titles. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's the point. Sure. Because if, if – here's the thing that I, I – this was actually in one of the articles over at textfootball.com that I put out. I did notice if we decided national champions from 2015 to 2020 by AP poll, Nick Saban, Ed Orgeron, and Dabo Swinney would have the same number of titles. Mm-hmm. They would have happened in slightly different years, right? but they ultimately would have the same amount of titles. The results would have been the same. That doesn't mean that we should have decided the titles by AP poll. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this is a question of – 
per se finding the most legitimate champion. I feel like a lot of people are making it that is right. is this the best most legitimate way to find the best most legitimate champion? Well, I, I mean, if we want to make sure that the best team wins, we can play seven game series, right? right? Like there are better ways to make sure that the best team wins. I don't think that that's what any of this is about. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody goes into, uh, you know, the NFL playoffs being like, well, the Chiefs are the best, so let's make sure that everybody else has a better chance to lose. That's right. not really what it's about, right? right? It's about you play a game and somebody's going to win. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. And I think I think for me, a lot of the conversation for me about the playoff comes back to it changes perspective of a program, I think, to make the playoffs. So mm. if you are team 5 through 12, that changes a lot more than teams one through four does just sure. over seven years, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, I think that we have the example. I mean, like I mentioned, I went to Baylor. Baylor has been in that conversation. They would have been uh, in that conversation three to- two times over. Oh, uh, just, just to rattle off quickly. Yeah. Uh, 2014, this was five through 12. Baylor, TCU, Mississippi State, Michigan State, yeah. Ole Miss, Arizona, Kansas State, Georgia Tech. Like, come on. <laughs> Georgia Tech would have been a playoff team. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Although I guess they might have gotten knocked out for a, for a group of five team. Uh, oh yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but let me see, uh, who was the highest ranking? Who, who was it at, the at that point? Let's see. I think it was Boise. I think I did look that up. I think that probably was right. So, I but like, it, but yeah. listen to that list. Mm-hmm. Football has changed so much in seven years. It was Boise. Right. Yeah. So it, football has changed that much in seven years to where Mississippi State was a top ten team that would have been in the college football playoff. Shout out to Mallory's Michigan State. So. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> And I think that, uh, and Mallory, we talked about this in the office a little bit the other day, but Michigan State, when they made the playoff, yes. did not have a chance to win the national championship. No. Right? I mean, it, that was arguably Nick Saban's most successful team. Right. Yeah. Right. With Derrick Henry. It, it, they were insane. Yeah. They right. were winning the, West, the national championship no matter who they played. They right. were going to plow over whoever they played. But did the fact that Michigan State got plowed over, did that mean that – it didn't mean something to make the playoff. Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. And it's that's what it is for me. Right. Right? Is that if you get the 11th spot, Indiana would have been the 11th spot this year. Mm-hmm. They would have played Texas A&M, and they would have gotten walloped. If you are an Indiana fan, I don't know why that's your problem. Right. <laughs> why should that's you fair. care? That's fair. You know, I, I mean, I think, that, I think that a lot of this conversation has been built around the idea that, oh, well, Alabama's regular season is going to mean – Five percent less than it used to. Well, like mm-hmm. Alabama hasn't played has played like one meaningful regular season game since like 2018, and it was against LSU, who was the greatest team of all time. Right. right. Uh, what what <laughs> meaningful game have you been watching? Yeah. Right. I think that all of a sudden now, when you have a 12 team playoff race, there are 30 to 40 teams that have meaningful regular seasons. I, I mean, let's uh, not to pick on somebody. Texas Tech, right? Texas mm-hmm. Tech. Since 2008, when is their last quote-unquote meaningful game? Texas Tech? Yes. Oh, golly. There were sometimes. I, I mean, I'm not saying that there was no enjoyable football at Texas. Like, sure. Mm-hmm. No, I, I know what you mean. It's yeah. like in the national landscape of things. Yeah. I, there were was lots it, of games was I it, loved. Was it when they got beat by Oklahoma when they were like number one after beating Texas uh, in 2008? Yeah. I mean, th- that's what I'm saying. Since yeah. 2008. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to – yeah, that's it. Like, that's really – I mean, the only other one was, like, you know, the fun ones where it's, like, Baker versus Pat Mahomes, but it's, like, right. it's not a national title implicant. Like. Right, <laughs> right, right. And even, I mean, Tech, uh, again, we love Texas Tech over here. Texas Tech hasn't even pulled an upset that's necessarily swung anything, right, yeah. I, that I can remember. So, like, I, I just can't look at it as somebody who covers Texas Tech and Houston and North Texas and UTSA and say, 
wow, their seasons are less valuable now. Sure. That just is so much of a, well, I was only going to talk about three teams anyway, Mm -hmm. and three of those teams, maybe they can afford another loss. Although at the same time, I think that losing a bye is still plenty of penalization. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big deal. Yeah. I I think that Alabama on a rest, like (laughs) having to play a game and then play Alabama rested, like that's insane. And And I point back to 2017 too, where Alabama, yes, they were the deserving team that got in at number four. But they didn't win their conference. They didn't even win their division. Mm-hmm. They lost their last game, got into the playoff, won the national title. Like, if we're arguing about deserving, right? Like, I think that we des- we would argue, oh, well, there weren't four deserving teams that year, potentially. Yeah. You know, there were three. But that didn't mean that Alabama didn't get to play for a national title. Mm-hmm. I, deserving is such a subjective term. But, uh, but anyway, we are the Republic of Football podcast brought to you by Dave Campbell's Text Football. Guys, we have a magazine. It's here in the office right now. Go to textfootball.com slash subscribe so you can be the first to get it. Now, I will say, you did miss the deadline last week. We talked about it. We, we tried to tell y'all. We pushed it. We, we did push it all the way to Friday. But uh, but still, if you order it this week, you still will probably get it around when it hits bu- uh, bookshelves, maybe a little before that. We're hoping by the end of June if you are able to order it right now. I believe that it works that like we send off another batch at some point in the next uh, couple days or so. So textfootball.com slash subscribe is the easiest way to get it. gets mailed directly to your house. I know that we have a couple out-of-state listeners. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way to get it because obviously you can't just go to your local HEB and get it, although we can't either. Come on, HEB, get up here. <laughs> get up here. They broke ground in Plano, and where's the other oh, one? Frisco. Frisco. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to end up making a trip. I'm just going to make <laughs> it. I'll, I'll do the 30-minute drive. I don't care. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But textable.com slash subscribe, the easiest and best way to get it. Plus, you get access to all of our premium content, of course, uh, on textable.com year-round. You can also buy a print-only or a digital-only subscription if that's what you would prefer. So textable.com slash subscribe. We have some other news from the magazine. We have released our annual 40 under 40 list. So for this list, the way that we usually do it, and this is how we did it this year too, we have 30 coaches on the high school side and 10 on the college side. Uh, Greg Tepper and all of them over at Texas Football Today did a great job breaking down the 30 on the list. So we're going to go through the 10 real quick. And so I've organized these into three different categories, guys who are coordinators, guys who are offensive assistants, and guys who are defensive assistants, just to, you know, break it down a little, make things a little easier. So without further ado, at coordinator, we've got Texas State offensive coordinator Jacob Peeler, Nasty Whiteouts. Sam Houston offensive coordinator Ryan Cardi, national champion. Texas A&M Commerce offensive coordinator Billy Rybach. So look at those three guys. Two from the small college ranks, two from programs that have won national titles in the last couple of years. Ryan mm-hmm. Cardi leading Sam Houston to a national title this year. Mm-hmm. This is a strong group. Oh, yeah. This is fun. Um, we saw what Jacob Peeler did in year one of working with the wide receivers at Texas State, uh, turning – you know, Jamari Sharid's now uh, working out with the Rams. I don't know if that happens in 2019, mm. after the 2019 season. Um, obviously, we know what Marcel Barbie can do. Um, I'm really excited about what he's going to do with the rest of that group. You mentioned Ryan Cardi. It seems like every time uh, um, uh, 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 Peeler – or not Peeler. Oh, my gosh. Keeler. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Casey Keeler loses an assistant, an offensive coach. He goes and gets another good one, another young good one. We talked about Phil Longo. We talked about um, – at Marshall, I forgot his name. Uh, the one that replaced Phil Longo, but now he has Ryan Cardi, point, yes. point being. Um, and, yeah, there seems to be just a coaching tree there with him and just offensive coordinators. Um, 
And yeah, you mentioned Billy Robach, another guy who's won a national title. Like, come on now. He, he was actually oh, not he was, there. Oh, that's the right. Title. He was not there for yeah. the Luis Perez year. Sorry. Yes, but he has taken over. He's developed Miklas Smalls into a 3,000-yard passer. I think they're going to have a really good shot to go deep in the playoffs this year based off of his coaching. Uh, he's really just kind of kept things going. You lose Luis Perez, like you mentioned, a Harlan Hill winner. They've done a really good job of moving things along, keeping things going. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think that all three of these offensive coordinators, some of the best young minds in the state, uh, I do want to mention with Cardi, right? He came in. He was actually a former quarterback uh, for Casey Keeler at Delaware. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. yeah. And so when Casey Keeler was fired from Delaware back in 2012 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. he reached out, just kind of was like, hey, you know, you're going to land on your feet sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so now he comes, rejoins him at Sam Houston as offense coordinator. And I think he has a lot to do with the Sam Houston offense transforming and going from a unit that – was so explosive and built around pace and all that sort of stuff to now one that's so much more versatile, mm-hmm. one that can speed up the game, one can slow down the game. And you saw in that national title game and during that entire national title run what the difference was. So moving on, we've got four offensive assistants. We got Baylor quarterbacks coach Sean Bell. We got UTSA running backs coach Julian Griffin. We got SMU assistant head coach and running backs coach Rashad Samples. And we've got Mary Harden Baylor wide receivers coach Stephen Thrash. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to hit on samples. I mean, yeah. you look at a guy who, on this list, I'm trying to think of a guy who kind of embodies a program strategy more mm. than Rashad Samples. Um, and it's hard to come up with one. One, he's, I want to say he's one of the younger guys on this list. He's, he's, he's under the, 30. He's yeah. like 27 or 28. Right. Like our age. Exactly. <laughs> that uh, sucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he could have made a 30 under 30 list. Um but and he did actually uh, for two four seven. Oh, okay. They did. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> he's literally the figurehead and kind of the mastermind of like this DFW takeover recruiting strategy for SMU. And now we see his role expanding to you know assistant head coach and his running backs coach. Now it's clear that they see this guy as a rising star, and mm. it's clear to see why. Just look at their recruiting classes and look at their just marketing strategy as a whole. You. You go back five years, right, just to just to the Chad Morris years and even the, the successful June Jones years, you weren't seeing this type of marketing from SMU, right? Right. And he's a big part of that, obviously coming from this area, obviously his dad being plugged in at Duncanville. Like he is plugged in, about as plugged in as anybody is with any area in the state. <laughs> no question. And I think that you look at that assistant head coach title, <clears throat> what that says to me, and this is also something that I know, is that people have tried to get him. Yeah. People have tried <laughs> to go after him, tried to get him. I'm assuming that even Texas, for example, I'm, I'm sure that they tried to bring him back as, as receivers coach in some cases. And you look at SMU, I think that when they had their first year of success, you and me talked about this in the office, we felt like this might be a, okay, you're going to get some transfers, you're going to have some good years, and Sonny Dyke's going to leverage it, and he's going to leave, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think One to two years, boom, he's gone, right. and you're left with kind of bare. Right, right. And... I think that you look at what they recruited last year, that is just not true. Preston Stone, one of the most offered players in the state of Texas last year, comes to SMU. Uh, Dylan Goffney, top 500 player. Uh, Roderick Daniels, uh, he was committed to Baylor before SMU ended up keeping him. You just go up and down that class. It's Dallas, 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 Duncanville, Pasadena. You know, just all this sort of stuff, right? Like, they are dominating DFW Mm -hmm. in a way that they have not done since the Pony Express. And you look at the the other thing I want to also mention is he was part of that 
I want to say he, he joined a little bit late, but he was also a p- big part of solidifying that 2018 class oh, in yeah. Texas. Oh, yeah. And so that's a, that was a lot of DFW guys in there, too. I believe they also had a pretty good uh, 2019 class before he left. Um, yeah, or uh, not 2019. Sorry, 20, 2018 class is what I meant. Yes. Um, but, yeah, like he was a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And, like, again, that's not a coincidence that, like, they bring in one of their highest, highest highly touted recruiting classes when he's there. <laughs> Right, right, right. Well, let's move on to some of the other guys. So, mm-hmm. Sean Bell from Baylor. He came up, uh, he was the head coach at, it was Round Rock Cedar Ridge. Yes. And he came to Baylor as an off-field assistant to start back in 2017 under Matt Rule. They moved him all around. They basically were just like, we like you. We don't know what, you, what we want you to do, but we like you It was you kind of one of Matt Rule's, like, ingratiating himself to the, where like, <laughs> right. I'm just going to get these really well-respected head right. coaches Sean and Bell, them, find Jim, spots for him. <laughs> Joey McGuire and uh, David Wetzel was yes. the other one. So yes. those three guys. And so now Sean Bell, I believe last year he was, like, tight ends coach maybe. Mm-hmm. Now they've got him working with quarterbacks, which I think is a great role for him. Sure. That's Sean, his house. <laughs> right. Sean Bell, former Baylor quarterback for people who don't know, back in what, 2007. And I think that it's actually a really great fit, too, just because you look at uh, at Jeff Grimes, the new offense coordinator. This is a guy who's been an offensive line coach historically, not a quarterback's coach. Mm-hmm. And so he's actually working technically with the tight ends, but this really gives him the ability to not just have to focus on the quarterbacks and get to have his eyes on everything else. And from a technical standpoint, Sean Bell – Obviously, a very talented player uh, and somebody who really knows that side of the ball well. Uh, son of uh, of a uh, former, oh gosh, what's his dad's name? Um, Mark Bell yes. at uh, at China Spring, and his brother, who also made the list by the way as mm-hmm. a high school coach, Brian Bell over at China Spring. So this is this is a coaching family. These are guys <laughs> who know what they're doing. Uh, at UTSA, Julian Griffin joined, I believe, before last season. So this was his first year with the program. Look, Sincere McCormick was there. Yeah. I, I don't want to act like like uh, Julian he Griffin. Made since, yeah. Right. But he did a pretty dang good job. Mm-hmm. We we knew that Sincere McCormick was good from his freshman year, but he kind of went to another level. A as whole other level. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I do want to say, for anybody who uh, listened to us give out our All-Texas College teams and said that, that whoever should have been ahead of Sincere McCormick for best running back or on first team – uh, come and fight me. You're <laughs> come and fight me. What? What? You're wrong, and it's okay. It's if you fine. have never watched Sincere McCormick, just admit it. Yeah. Just tell us. It's don't okay, don't man. lie to me. That's don't. Right. What are you doing? <laughs> anyway, he's done a great job, I think, with Sincere McCormick. And actually, this upcoming year, I do think that they're going to be deeper at running back. I actually think that Sincere might not actually even get the yardage total that he got last season. I think he'll be more efficient. I think that they'll split the carries a little bit more. Uh, you know, but I think he's done a really good job with that running back room, and I'm excited to see what he can do next. Other guys on that list, uh, like we mentioned, Stephen Thrash from over at Mary Harden Baylor. So I mentioned he's a wide receivers coach, does a great job with the wide receivers, uh, worked with TJ Josie, who was an awesome player, who helped lead them to a national championship back in 2018. Another championship winning coach, by the way. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that he does, too, is that he is a recruiting coordinator for the program, also very involved with the JV team. And so this is a guy who really does a good job of identifying guys who want to come to mm-hmm. Mary Harden Baylor. Obviously, Mary Harden Baylor is a Division three program. They have to convince kids to come. They have to convince kids to pay their way. They have to give kids opportunities. And I think that Thrash has done a really good job of being Pete Fredenberg's right-hand man from that perspective in terms of managing the program. And so we felt like he was an obvious choice on the list. Yeah. Moving to the defensive assistants, we got Blake Gideon mm-hmm. back yeah. with the Texas Longhorns. After, a, after he had a stop at Houston where he was special teams coordinator and, and, at, and at Ole Miss last year. But now he's back coaching safeties where he used to play and was an All-Big 12 player. 
Then at Texas A&M, we've got new defense backs coach TJ Rushing. And at TCU, we've got longtime defensive line coach Zarnell Fitch. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you're a TCU, I feel like d- defensive line coaches, you just got <laughs> You just got to be on this list, right? Right. It doesn't, right, right. It doesn't matter what you. It doesn't matter, you know, about anything else. You're just like you're TCU's defensive. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Four two five. Yeah, you're gonna be there. <laughs> um, but Blake Gideon, his name. I mean, obviously, he meant, we mentioned he was with Houston and Ole Miss, but his name kind of just sparked up, didn't mm-hmm. it? Don't you remember, like, yeah. where, when his name first came up for the Texas, uh, the, his position now at Texas, you're just like, oh, wait, where'd this come from? Like, where's he been? And you look, he's been with, he was with Lane Kiffin, and then he was with right. Major Appoy at Houston, and, all, and it's like, where was, the, where was, was he a Major? Was he, he with he Major was with Dana? 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 He was Dana's gotcha. first year. Um, but still, it was like, where'd his name come from? I didn't know he was coaching now, but yeah, it's cool to see him come back. Um, I'm really interested to see what he does. TJ Rushing, I mean... Come on now, that secondary is going to be so much fun this year. Um, I'm really excited to see what he does. Uh, yeah, I like all these guys. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a very strong list. Uh, I will say we we didn't have a head coach on this list. Yeah. I believe for the first time in the three or four years we've been doing this, mm-hmm. uh, because we had Eric Morris, we had Jake, Jake, Jake Spavadol, uh, and we had uh, Jason Bachtel, I believe, uh, last yeah, year. Yeah. So this is the first year without a head coach. A lot of the head coaches we've already named mm-hmm. is a big part of it, of course. And actually, luckily, people have kept their jobs, so, right. <laughs> so actually, we haven't had to hire new ones. Now that I mentioned, I think that Bachtel was actually an OC when we gave it to him, and now he's, he's a head, head coach. coach yeah. So I don't know. Still, Man, can't name him twice. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, get, yeah. Some, get spread the love around. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, but a strong group. I mean, I think several guys on this list. I mean, Ryan Cardi's going to be a head coach one of these days. Uh, Jacob Peeler, I mean, I, I think that he He's potentially on to bigger and better things, you know, in, in the next couple of years if he keeps kind of doing what he's been doing with these wide receivers over at Texas State. And, yeah, I think you just really see the difference, right, mm-hmm. With uh, since Jacob Peeler just come in with the way that those receivers play. So, oh, 100%. So it's a strong list. It's a strong list. This is always one of the more fun things that we do, too, because this is just – you know, you kind of get a little nerdy with this, right? Sure. No, it's like we can you can go in to see how – you can kind of go into staffs because it's easy to go like, oh, that's a head coach, right? Jake Spavadol was right. like, okay, just put him on there. But it's like even coordinators is kind of a little mm-hmm. bit easier, right? But it's in- more interesting to go into the ops guys, to the position coaches, and see like, okay, who are the guys that are really hitting the recruiting pavement? Who are the guys that are really developing their position, right? Mention Griffin, mention Samples. Um, in- we, and, and it's a little bit of projection too, right? We're sure. interested to see what Blake Gideon does this year with Texas. And so, yeah, it's definitely one of the more fun ones because it's, it's also like – really creative on our part too because like we you know there are plenty of names plenty of names we didn't name right plenty of guys we didn't name uh we kind of set the the qualifications right once you get once you get the first one it's like okay are they under 40 okay now we start to weed out who we want to really name and who's worth promoting because Bactel could have just been named again but it's like right. eh, let's not name him this time let's find somebody else right right so. right and i will say Trying to confirm that they're under 40. That's is, an awkward question. Is it, it's, it's always, it's, he's like, hey, how old's coach? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so usually when I go through and do sort of my first look at things, yeah. I, I'll go through and I'll try to see if they have a college graduating class in it. Uh, you know, and you kind of assume they're 23, 24 at the oldest, sure, right? Sure, and, sure. and try to go off of that. And then you're like, okay, this was the graduating year for that class. I know there's a, I think that a couple years ago, Firstman Jackson from Baylor turned 40, like, as the magazine came out. Yeah, yep. But by the time we named him, he was 39. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, he, that's not the most publicly available information. Right. Everybody's birth dates. Yep. <laughs> and so. if you, luckily, you know, if you're in with a, with a, with an SID, you can just kind of send a text like, hey, when, right. let's go just birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say, I will say the one, uh, so SMU, I'll name as a team that they have a very young staff. There's mm-hmm. a lot of guys to go through. Yeah. I think that they'll, basically have a guy every single year uh and tech is a very old staff 
Hmm. Like uh, Tech has, I, I think that's because they brought in a lot of guys from uh, from Utah State with Matt, with Matt Wells, guys who had been around. Now I will say, I think that Cumbie is still under forty, but you know hmm. we named him in our twenty eighteen version I, or twenty nineteen maybe I, I believe it was, and uh, and they did add Joel Falani who is under forty, so we did consider him as well. But uh, but yeah, it, it's always fun going through these staffs trying to figure out how old everybody is, and it's kind of cool to see, you know, as we i guess approached that uh that 30 year mark of being like oh man these are guys that we might have uh you know started going to college with right right jeez and uh, and a guy like Blake Gideon who obviously both of us grew up watching yep. <laughs> right at the University of Texas so Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, again, we're the Republic of Football. You can find us at textfootball.com. Find all of our work uh, and subscribe at textfootball.com. Subscribe. Ooh, I'm losing track of things there. My gosh. <laughs> find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Text Football. Find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. Thanks again to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. For Ishmael Johnson, for Mallory Hartley, I'm Shahan J. Raja. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will be back with you guys again next week.